Welcome back. It's 2022 and there's been a lot of shit going down. Um, we've sort of um, not done the podcast now for about, what, about six months. Um, I'm going to blame that all solely on you. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so we've not done it for a little while now, but there's been a lot of subjects we've sort of wanted to touch on. But one of the more recent events, obviously, and something that's obviously taken over the headlines at the moment is obviously the Ukraine crisis. Um, that distant sound of the hammer and sickle over the horizon um but yeah so really just gonna be talking about the ukraine crisis today sort of how we got really to where we are and sort of just have a sort of back and forth discussion really aren't we about what's going on and what needs yeah. to be said so yeah i think you've got a little bit of history for us haven't you on sort of how will, we got to where we were dive in initially just to give us a bit of background on yeah. how we got where we are um today i uh, say today of course you may be listening to this in the future and if you are, thanks. And if you're actually listening to us from your fallout shelter, you know, even better. I mean, that's amazing that people would choose us to listen to in the apocalypse. So that, yeah. that'd be amazing. So thanks um, to uh, Elon Musk's yeah. um, Starlink internet. Yeah. <laughs> Fastest speed you've ever got. But assuming, assuming our listeners, if we have any, are going to listen to us in the, in the, in the near future, um, obviously a lot of what we'll, we'll we'll say we'll we'll hopefully have relevance um we're trying not to get too much into i guess into the into the what's happening right now because it may date you know the podcast slightly but um but uh you know we'll we'll obviously be commenting on some of the current events so anyway going back to look at how it all began um because for many people you know there has been a lot of there has been a lot of um, uh, you know events that have led up to this, but of course it's it's not in the news very often. Um, so we we don't we just hear about it when things blow up, and of course a lot of people will will, will be suddenly quite shocked with the outbreak of this war because they'll have just heard about troop buildups at the end of 2021. Um, not probably not known too much what that was about. And all of a sudden we're in a war, but the roots of the, the current conflict really uh, go back to, um, you know, shortly after the demise of the, the Soviet union. Um, obviously in terms of what Ukraine's history was, they were a part of the Soviet union. So, and along with a number of other uh, states in 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 the eastern part of Europe, um, and uh, whereas many of those have subsequently joined the EU or um, joined NATO and or joined NATO, um, Ukraine has has been struggling to sort of become an independent state uh, ever since they um, left the European Union, and they're they're in it, they're a country with a lot of natural resources. Um, they're, they're one of the they're, they're one of the wealthiest parts of the Soviet Union, 
So it's not that surprising that um, a leader like Vladimir Putin would be quite keen to at least maintain a close relationship, if not bring them back in uh, to the Russian Federation. And in fact, that's what many people say is 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 behind his actions, as bizarre as they seem. It's part of a, a long-standing plan um, not to return to the Soviet Union because um, whatever people say about about Putin, you know, he's clearly not a communist or a socialist of any kind. You know, he's a, he's a right wing nationalist, but he's looking back to a, a version of of Russia, which is possibly close to the Russia of the nineteenth century. Um, you know, the, the, the time when it had a you know it, it was in its pomp um, and the glory days, the glory the glo- days. The glo- days of the, of the czars and so on mm. um, and this is really what he's he's thinking about and and of course he made that speech um, on the eve of war when he effectively said that Ukraine wasn't a real country and it, it, it was really just part of Russia Ukrainians are Russians etc etc um, so in in their in their struggles to sort of become um, an independent nation there's been this back and forth and really where things um i think we can we can say things really begin to hot up was back in 2004 so in 2004 there was a, a disputed election um uh, the the leader uh, yanukovych uh, was a um a, a sort of sympathetic to 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 russia he was a leader who was sympathetic to russia he um he Initially, was declared the winner of the 2004 election, and this was then disputed. I think international election observers had uh, decided there was fraud involved, so they reran it, and he ended up uh, conceding in the in the follow up election. Uh, he he lost the follow up election, so um, that was the initial. A kind of dispute, and and where you've got electoral fraud, um, you know, in an election of that kind, you do wonder there. Well, was that was that Russia's influence? Um, was there meddling from Russia's part there? Um, at this time, you know, Putin wasn't making the kind of moves that he is he, he has done in the last you know recent decade, um, but from about two thousand eight. You then get the Putin we see today, who's who's very much pushing back against the West. So when uh, Yanukovych then um, stood again for election in 2010 and won, this was uh, this was when things started to swing back towards um, towards uh, you know um, to, towards the Russian influence and um, where Ukraine were sort of starting to move into the EU's orbit, this is where it all changed. And in 2013, um, there was an agreement which had been drafted between Ukraine and the EU, um, an, an agreement of association, which uh, all the EU leaders had, 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 had turned up to a ceremony where this agreement to be signed and Yanukovych didn't turn up. 
So the agreement was never signed. He pulled out of it at the last minute. So this is what led to a huge um, uh, uprising, which became known as the Euro, Euro Maiden movement. And um, he ended up being turfed out of office. Now, this is something that Putin's referred to um, as one of his justifications for the war, because as far as he's concerned, um, uh, uh, the... Um, uh, the, you know, the, the the this was a coup, and he calls it a far right coup. Now, the fact the fact is that there are <laughs> there are Nazis, there are fascists, there are members of the far right in a lot of countries in Eastern Europe. And Russia has got its share of of, of fascists, that's for sure. Um, so it, it's not uncommon, and we know about this, and we know about you know the far right in East East Germany and so on. Um, but this was not you know, in any way, shape or form, uh, simply a protest by uh, fascists. Um, according to um, ob observers, there were somewhere between 400 and 800,000 people involved in those protests. So yeah. you're not going to have four to 800,000 neo-Nazis and fascists. Um, yeah. You know, there might be there might be a few hundred, but the vast majority of those, that you know, this is a big popular uprising. So in terms of, Putin's justification, it doesn't stack up. It doesn't stack up. There, there may well have been some of them. There may have been some violence that involved neo-Nazis. But for the most part, we're talking about here a big, big mass popular uprising. So Putin's justification just doesn't add up, really, in terms of that being something that he claims he's seeking justice for. So Yanukovych is out of office. Um, as a result of that, and as a result of those protests and so on, um, Putin then moves quickly to annex Crimea. They hold a referendum. Uh, the referendum, I think, delivers something like a 90% uh, result in favour of, um, of uh, joining with the Russian Federation. Of course, it's not run to international standards for one thing. And, and so the likelihood is the only people who actually voted in that election were people who were pro joining the Russian Federation. So it's not entirely uh, surprising that that you result... You sort of imagine the ballot card, can you? It's got, you know, option one, yes. Option two, yes. Yeah. Um, option three <laughs> is the guy behind you with the gun to your head is going to pull the trigger. So it's, yeah. like, oh, I'll vote uh, option one. Yeah, that seems like a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's generally agreed that that the people of Crimea um, might well have chosen to join the Russell, Russian Federation anyway, as they're, they're, I don't know if it's right to say they're ethnically Russian, but they're, it's a Russian speaking area. Mm. Um, you know, so it, it may well have been the case, but of course, you know, it's against the normal way of doing things to just simply state that you're annexing a country and just then just. Sorry, just to, just to mention there, would you say it was sort of, um, you because you know you're saying that there's some Russian speakers in Crimea and things like that, you know, they're not natively Russian, but would you maybe argue as well that sort of like that sort of mindset, maybe you'd have that older generation that sort of kind of um, got a thrill out of the idea of rejoining the Russian Federation, like you did in this country when you had an older generation that sort of got a thrill on the idea of the, yeah. the, the you know, the British Empire returning to its... The Brexit, roots, you know I mean? Yeah. So Could be, couldn't it? Quite, it's quite similar. To, I feel like there probably was some influence there on that. Well, when so. you're looking at the, the comparison with, with Brexit as well, I mean, uh, as we've sort of recently been discovering as well, um, Russian money played a big part in in Brexit. So mm. 
there's there's a there's a strong connection there, isn't there? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, it could well have been. I don't know. I don't know the you know the the full vax there, but it's definitely Crimean Peninsula, Crimea. Um, again, was part of the Soviet Union um, and is a largely Russian area. Uh, yeah. So it 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 wouldn't be it wouldn't be wrong to think that had had you know things being done in the proper way that they wouldn't necessarily um have uh, joined russia but it's just that obviously putin um didn't wasn't prepared to let things take their course marched in there and you know obviously received international condemnation for the way that he did it yeah so that having happened um war breaks out in the neighboring uh regions the um in the region that's known as the Donbass. So you've got two regions, Donetsk and Lukansk. And um, the the fighting continues for most of 2014, but there, there are a couple of agreements um, which are negotiated uh, with, with um, international um, uh, sponsors. Uh, and these are called the Minsk agreements. So the, the Minsk agreements eventually bring an end to the fighting in the Donbass region. Um, and what they basically say is that they, they, they set up essentially a roadmap for these two regions to become independent states. Um, now, that was back in 2015, this Minsk II agreement, which has been referred to a couple of times recently. Yeah, you see that quite um, a lot at the moment, don't you? Huh? You, as I was saying, you see that quite a lot at the moment, don't you? That, that agreement yeah. being mentioned in the news. That's, well, they talk about it. Yeah, they talk about, um, depends who you listen to, but it seems to be a sort of generally agreed that the ideal thing at this point is let's get the fighting stopped and let's you know move back to the terms of the Minsk, Minsk agreement. Or Min, Minsk II is the one which was the, the second version of it, which eventually brought the fighting to a stop. Yeah. Um, but... You know, the the problem was that the agreement was put in place and then it was never implemented. So all this time has passed. And I think this is where Ukraine, the Ukrainian government are not blameless because there was obviously, um, there there was obviously some, uh, some responsibility that they had to ensure that, that steps were taken to 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 make sure that the, the what was agreed was put into place in these regions and they, they were given the autonomy they were promised and it didn't happen. Yeah. So again, another another justification from Putin's point of view um, that Ukraine have not done what they said. Of course, he's then added to that that um, you know that I mean some of his justifications they, they don't really stack up. That there was some eth- ethnic cleansing going on in these regions and various things like that but um but essentially where you can say that he does have a point is that is that these regions you know they were promised to have full independence and that hasn't happened there's still been fighting uh and 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 you know ukrainian nationalists um who, who've been um you know causing trouble in these regions so and that's essentially given putin some sort of thing to hang his hang his hang his um his hat on when he's talking about you know the actions he's taken today is that he's going in there to to defend the people in these regions because again these two regions they're 
they do have parts. In fact, not the whole region, but parts of these regions are ethnically Russian. Again, the people there are all, all Russian speakers. Yeah. So this this is his justification: is that he's going in there um, as a sort of a peacekeeper, um, uh, and and obviously going in there for humanitarian reasons. He's going in there to prevent uh, genocide and ethnic cleansing and all these sort of things. But this is very typical of Putin because um, one of his his um, one one of his techniques that we've seen uh, over the over the, certainly since two thousand eight that he he's he's acted in a way that often uh, parodies um, and mimics the way that the West talk about their interventions. So where you know in the past we've had interventions by Western nations um, to say prevent genocide or or prevent ethnic cleansing. Um, Putin will pick up on those those justifications, and he's used those, um, and it, and it, and he almost does it deliberately in a way to sort of to sort of um, it's like you know call out the West for their hypocrisy, if you like, you know. Yeah, mim- mimicking what works, isn't it? Really, um, mm. it's it's like uh, he's trying to be sort of like um, I don't know what Audi is to Asda, <laughs> you know. Like- <laughs> As as the stock wheat. Which bit, one's the but... which one's the, the evil one out of those two? <laughs> well, I don't think they're necessarily evil, but you know you've got the off brand. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So he's like the the Russian off brand, uh, you know, West reasoning. But yeah, you know, I, I think yeah, it's it's an interesting one because you're right. Him mimicking that behaviour makes it it wouldn't make it any different, would it? Really, because he's got the same justifications, and I think that's been a lot of what has sort of caused this discussion of where you know a lot of people are saying about you know putin apologists like if you if you if you say you know if, that you're anti-war or if you say that there's any any justification to what's going on in ukraine and it's not mm. necessarily saying oh i justify oh i i think killing people is good that's a really democratic way to deal with things um but it, it's one of these things where when you sort of call out the level of hypocrisy which is exactly sort of what you know, as you say, Putin's trying to do sort of in that in that language of mimicking that behaviour. Um, you're, you're sort of almost told that, yeah, well, you're um, you're a Putin apologist and you obviously support what's happening in Ukraine, and it's like uh, I, that's not what I'm, that's not what we're getting at. Yeah, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, sorry, carry on. Carry on no, well, that that's really brings us that pretty much brings us up to date. Because um, as I say, um, yeah, that's that's been the kind of um, situation that's hung there for, for, for seven years. Um, and I think, you know, Putin's just decided now is the time to make his move. And why he's decided that is, is up for debate, isn't it? Because nobody can really know his mind, um, and, 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 and what he thinks, but does he sense weakness in the West? I mean, we had Brexit, um, for one thing. So we had this split, in the in the allies, I mean, in the European Union, uh, Britain being one of the um, the biggest nations, um, the most powerful nations, splitting away from the European Union. So that perhaps after post Brexit, I mean, he's seen how the land lies, and of course Brexit did happen. Um, it's it's um, and we've gone full Brexit now. So maybe he's sort of thinking now, well, that's that's I've succeeded there because you know obviously he's there, there was a there was obviously a, a sort of big. Um, Russian psyop uh, during the vote, and 
and and before that even you know which led to those conditions and this is the key thing isn't it because you've got this russia expanding their sphere of influence through sort of economics isn't it this this political play where well we're not actually going to get involved but here's uh we're going to sling you a bit of cash and uh, it's going to help you but you're not going to realize maybe just yet how much that's going to help you and how much we can tip that scale and it's sort of like you know when you had this russian interference um allegedly in sort of like the american election um, yeah. and things like that and it's sort of i think the thing about it is that the west would never admit that Russia have influenced anything, even if there was solid proof, even if Vladimir himself had come in and ticked the ballot box, it there would you know there would be no admittance. I feel from the West to say, oh, actually that that has actually done something that has affected our politics, um, because obviously we had Jeremy Corbyn stood up in 2018, didn't we? What what are the mm. chances in 2022 that what's left is still talking about Jeremy Corbyn? Unbelievable. <laughs> um, but we had Joe, more on him later. Um, but yeah, we had we had Jeremy Corbyn stand up in 2018 in Parliament, and he said, "Dirty Russian money is circulating this country like a like a bad smell, isn't it?" And um, you know, we need to look into how this interferes with British politics. And they basically just, oh, you know, fuck off, Jeremy. We're not interested. Um, and here we are, you know, four years later. Guess what we're talking about? Dirty yeah. Russian money. And guess yeah. what? There's a fucking lot of it, isn't there, Rob? Mm. And, you know, we would have been none the wiser. And, you know, the Tory party donations from these Russians and things like that. And the one thing that I will say that I find very, very ironic is that um, obviously we're going to be moving on to the sanctions in just a second. But one thing I find very ironic is that we're, we, when we imposed our sanctions and we discussed it, there was these news articles that followed where it was things, you know, by economists and things like that saying, you know, how's that going to affect us? Your bread could be more expensive, this, that, and the other. And that's mm. because to me, I think it just shows how much Russian money was in the system for it to actually financially affect us. Um, because it's not just the case of, you know, you know, we get gas from Russia and, you know, we spend a lot of money of them and that, because that doesn't really affect our economy as such, because we were already agreed yeah. so that was that was a pre-existing commitment. But having something like well, you're going to pay more now because inflation is going to go or whatever. Because what? Because we've got rid of a lot of money and now maybe we're not as wealthy as we once thought. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, it's very interesting. And I think, you know, Mayfair would probably collapse overnight, wouldn't it, without all that Russian money? But yeah, I mean, they haven't, they haven't really expro ex expropriated anything yet, have they? They're, they're, I don't know quite what the sanctions involve. I mean, they've, 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 sanction the banks which presumably means that they can't um move money in the way that they normally would well they said that um, they said sanctioning oligarchs but exactly what that means maybe again they can't move their funds or, i don't know but then even when it came to the oligarchs i saw that they'd said they'd they'd been given a grace period to sort of move i mean assets. yeah I, I mean that seems to be the case doesn't it so how are you really sanctioning them if you're if you're letting them then um, do what they need to do to to, to secure their wealth elsewhere. <laughs> well, that's that's <laughs> the idea, isn't it? Is move move it over there for a bit, and then when this all is um, you know blows over, bring it back, and you know we, we have a nice little bank well, that, account for you to pay. That in. presumably is the thinking, isn't it? That is the thinking. Let's not be too nasty to them, so that they then bring their cash back to us afterwards. The thing is, it's not in the interest. It wouldn't be in the interest of any country to have a huge exit of assets of any kind, mm. which is why it's so mad that you know, the kind of hard Brexit that we had went through because, as I understand it, something like two trillion of assets left the country within the first three months. Um, you know, and it's not good, you know, it, 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 it might be, it might not be things that 
directly affect ordinary people, but there's going to be a knock-on effect, you know, because the, the economy is, 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 is all connected, isn't it? So if we happen to have um, large amounts of assets leaving the country, um, it's going to have an effect. It's going to have some sort of effect. How, how large the effect is, I don't know. I mean, the bigger effect, though, would be if they chose to sanction the, um, the Russian energy uh, or the Rus- Russian um, gas providers, uh, energy providers, um, because we need that, uh, that that energy, so things could be a lot worse for that. But of course, they've kept that going, haven't they? Because because we it was going to hurt us as well. I mean, could you you could just see the posters now, couldn't you? If they had done the sanction, there'd be Boris Johnson stood there pointing. I need you to turn your lights off. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they'll bring that the, back, won't they? Yeah, for the, sake, for the sake of the country, turn your fucking lights off. Yeah, um, yeah. It will anyway. be like the Blitz. There'll be no, no bombs coming down, but it was like you have the blackout because you know there just isn't enough electricity to go around. Be vans coming around in the evening, collecting people, forcing people at their homes to use gas cookers and sending yeah. them off to somewhere, somewhere with an electric facility. Um, yeah. But yeah, and I think this is the thing, isn't it? With, with these sanctions, one thing that I found quite amusing is obviously everyone's always said uh, you know oh china's not really had a lot to say about it and at the end of the day, china doesn't give a fuck who do, like, mm. what do they have like how does it affect them they're all the way over the, you know it doesn't matter because china is sort of you know when you look at russia's influence russia's influence is economics isn't it china's influence is trade i mean like mm. if you sanction i mean that's why they, they've not sanctioned um you know china on the uruguay muslims um mm. you know the sort of facade that came up which was where you know they said oh this is a uh, you know against human rights but um, we do we do like what you make and you make it very cheap you know so it's sort of a hard argument isn't it why why would we sanction you because it would just be political suicide wouldn't it? economic suicide so you know china yeah, I mean, have that sort of influence there china are not on board with the whole rule of international law are they really that's the thing um, because when you look at other countries i mean if you look at america uh, well all the north american countries european countries um most of the states probably in Africa, uh, around the world, doesn't matter where you look, most most countries are broadly on board with the idea of international law and there being international standards uh, and so on. And China just don't really care about that. You know, I mean, it's not to say that they will flagrantly um, go out of the way to, to, to breach international law, certainly not in terms of their relationship with other countries, because as you say, um, their their main concern is, is 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 the concern of of uh, of of, of in, you know uh, their economic links with other countries, and so obviously, sort of breaching it, uh, international law is going to cause problems for them in that in that respect. Mm. Um, as far as at home is concerned, well, you know they they flagrantly breach you know human rights standards there, but then that's within their own borders, so they probably just think well. They can't do anything about that, can they? Really, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's that's in our backyard. Yeah, nothing to do with the West. Um, yeah, no, that's the point. Is that they don't care about. They don't really care about. You know the the, the kind of um, the framework of international law and so on. Um, in in the way that other countries will be more generally speaking more likely to to sort of uh, uphold those standards um so when it comes to you know their alliance with russia for them it's like well 
what's going to what's going to be worse for us really that's what it comes down to really are we you know is our trade with russia more important than our trade with the rest of the world and is our trade with the rest of the world even going to be affected i mean this, and this is what they're probably looking at you know the principle of russia having sort of breached international law in an egregious way and and committing war crimes and so on they don't really care you know they, yeah. i don't think they really in the end they, they don't care that much i'm not saying they don't care at all but they don't care that much it's not it's not high on their priorities it's not you know so i think i think that's where they are i mean it's not to say that it's not to say that there's a chance that that there's no chance that they will at some point move their position they may do but um they certainly they're never going to fall in line the way that other countries are when it comes to these sort of issues i don't think Uh, yeah and i think yeah that's that's the important thing though that i think it boils down to so you know I, we were talking and obviously we, I don't know if we mentioned it briefly well we've had a lot of discussions about it somebody pre the podcast but this idea of being anti-war at the moment is very unpopular isn't it like uh, mm. I, can't, I can't believe you wouldn't want to pick up a gun and kill your neighbour um, but it's what I find interesting about it is that there's this idea there's this ideology where a lot of the international law and a lot of the you know NATO and things like these these organisations that are set up are a very western mindset and there's mm. a sort of idea that if you don't fall in line with the Western mindset, that you can be excluded from that that sort of that you know, that whole system. So, you know, when you think collectively, all the people that are part of NATO, how much firepower they have. When you think about all the countries that collectively make up the EU, how much economic power they have, um, and and things, you know, same with NATO as well. Actually, when you think about those countries, how much economic power they've got there, and you know, these countries massively outweigh countries like Russia and things like that, because they always say, you know, like there's been this thing in the news lately about obviously Russia with nukes, you know, Putin putting on high alert and um, someone actually thinking someone is genuinely mad enough to fire a nuclear missile. I I just personally, you know, it's not, let's let's not touch wood, as we say. Um, Let's hope that nothing does happen. Uh, But obviously I personally don't, I have the ideology that no one would be mad enough because they know it's suicide if you launch a nuclear missile that's it but you know they keep saying you know i saw this news article from bbc that said um you know how many nuclear weapons does russia have and it's like well how many nuclear weapons does nato have combined (laughs) it's probably what double triple the amount yeah um and it's not and it's not to defend it in any way but it's this idea with nato where there's this level of justification isn't there there's this there's this justification to say um well you know for instance if we go back um, some something quite close to our home. If we go back to sort of like when Tony Blair um, invaded, um, you know, basically acknowledged the invasion of um, you know Middle Eastern countries. Where was our sanctions then? We just got mm. told, well, we're not really happy about that. You know, you shouldn't have done that. And we're like, yeah, but mm. we're going there because they've got loads of you know weapons of mass destruction. Where the, where's the weapons of mass destruction? Ooh, we got, we're going there to find them. You'll go mm. find where they are. And, you know, and, and there's this idea that they sort of set a premise and the premise was actually a false premise. So to sit there and say, oh, yeah, well, you know, Putin doesn't have a leg to stand on about this. Well, he can fucking make it up as he goes along like anyone else does. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of people you get them saying, you know, well, yeah, but we're not talking about the past wars. You know, like you said, you know, in our discussions previously where you said, you know, like this, this war, something about this is different, isn't it? It's different. If we go in and mm-hmm. keep the door open, and we we want to shove NATO and and you know our international law down people's throats, then we are basically Batman and Robin, aren't we? That's it. But mm. Putin is that guy that sits there with an eye patch on, 
stroking his cat in his evil chair in his evil layer with like a shark swimming <laughs> underneath him or something. And I'm not saying that what Putin does, I'm not here to justify his actions. Murder is murder at the end of the day, wherever it is. War is war at the end of the day, wherever it is. And war ultimately only affects citizens, really. Mm. Um, you know, if you look at death counts across all the wars, who dies more? Do you think there's a high, um, you know, army death count? Of course there's not. Military deaths are quite limited, really, if you think about it, compared to civilian deaths. Mm. And civilian deaths that even follow on from not just the fact that someone's bombing somewhere, but if you're putting a country in economic turmoil or, or food can't pass through and things like that, then you've got starvation, humanitarian crisis. Um, and, it, yeah, there's this there's this sort of sense where, you know, what's the best way of describing it? With what Putin's doing, it's not justifiable, but these events have been repeated by the West before. And mm. there's been much less harsh backlash over it. Um, and I think, you know, when you get these wars that come up, I mean, I say civilian deaths are always massive. It's like in Afghanistan. The amount of civilians yeah. that were killed there was absolutely f- insane, like disgusting amount. Um, but, you know, there's this sort of idea that, you know, with war, there's, it's just, all it is is just, can, you know, citizens in war are just cannon fodder. And mm-hmm. it's just this idea, this big dick competition where diplomacy runs out. And actually my, my idea as the one leader of this country is better than your idea. And, you know, we all stand in the same ideology and we're going to go to war and we're going to fight about it. Um, but, you know, I think with, with Russia and sort of what's going on now, I was about to say Russia today, but we probably got banned off of Spotify. Um, <laughs> But um, yeah, with what's going on now, I think it's very the way the reaction from the West has been very personal, um, more than just political. Um, so this idea of actually, I, I saw a news article. I don't know if you saw it, but there's this idea now. It's quite it's quite trendy to ask companies to impose their own sanctions. So this is not governments. This is not political sanctions. This is exclusion. And my issue with that is that you're basically punishing a populace of people over a decision that they have no influence over um it's almost as if they're sort of saying well actually well you know you you've, you're all citizens of russia why don't you go do something about it oh but while we're at it you can't buy apple products anymore and you should be banned off of xbox and things like that and i think it's getting to a point where you're sort of almost demonizing a you know citizenship of people based on based on what really what a, a guy who's meant to be a deranged dictator's views you know, should we should we base all Syrians, for example, on Bahar al-Assad's views? Do you know what I mean? Should we base yeah. all the citizens of Belarus on the dictator there's views? Do you know what I mean? And things like that. And it's it's a really harsh, yeah, harsh level of sanctions that they're doing. And I sort of get it, but in a sense, by saying that there's a, a cri- there's a humanitarian crisis pending in Ukraine and you've got people fleeing and it's very understandable in, in the midst of war, you could potentially, <clears throat> as a backfire, cause a humanitarian crisis in Russia um, on people that don't deserve it. Yeah, by all means, you know, sanction all regards, sanction, you know, Putin, whatever you need to do. But you shouldn't get to a point where you're almost getting Russia to a level where its economy is dropping so rapidly that you could be in a similar situation to Nazi Germany where, you know, it's cheaper to burn your money um, than it was to actually turn the heating on or, you know, loaf of bread basically cost a wheelbarrow of money. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's quite scary. Yeah, it's, it's, you're definitely right there. The The... There's going to be a big toll it's going to take on the ordinary Russian people, and they're, and they're being punished for having a dictator as their leader. I mean, surely they, 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 you know, 
they've suffered enough, haven't they? They, their their country, you know, hasn't been uh, free and democratic really for, well, I mean, I don't know how democratic it was anyway, but certainly since, since in the era of Putin. So we're talking about like the last 20 years, at least, um, you know, they've had to live in this country where they've had none of the norms that we, we come to sort of expect in this country, strong institutions, democratic institutions, um, you know, free and fair elections and so on. Um, and, you know, and, and, and an economy, which is, there's still a large economy, but given the size of the country, the economy is, 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 is really, you know, nothing special at all. It's, it's quite poor. Um, and of course, a lot of the, the money in that economy, um, ends up in the pockets of these hugely wealthy oligarchs. And they tend to siphon it away. Uh, it ends up in the British Virgin Islands or going through shell companies in these tax havens. Um, so the, the Russian people, you know, have not had a great time of it in the last 20 years anyway. And as you say, some of these things that are going on, I mean, I saw here, uh, this, this, this was a story came out today. Um, Ikea are pulling out of, of Russia. Marks and Spencers pulling out of Russia. Marks I mean, and Spencers who, is in who Russia. Is, well, that was news to me as well. <laughs> but the point is, who, who is this, this going to hurt? So mm. for a start, these people are now out of jobs, presumably, if they're pulling out altogether. I don't know how many people these companies employ, but mm. there's a toll there, isn't there? And, and if, if this is repeated, again, it all builds up. And, and you know, Marks and Spencers, okay, maybe the oligarch shop, shop there, I don't know. <laughs> but, I mean, it won't just be them, will it? You know, so it's like these measures are not actually, I mean, I don't think the, the British government has rung up Mark, Mr. Marks and Spencers, whoever the current uh, CEO is, and said, oh, could you please stop trading in Russia? As you say, they've just sort of jumped on the bandwagon, haven't they? Yeah. But it's not targeted. How is that going to, how is that going to stop the, fucking war in 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 ukraine it's and it's nonsense, it's it? basically holding citizens by by the balls really isn't it because obviously it, i don't know maybe i'm wrong maybe i should you know go and kiss my vladimir putin poster now but <laughs> my my sort of ideology is is that it's it's the west's or my philosophy should I say is that it's the west's approach to destabilizing russia isn't it because the hmm. idea is is that you know You've got you've got two routes it could go. I mean, really. I mean, either they're gonna either you're gonna impose these sanctions and the Russian people are gonna say, Do you know what? Fuck this guy off, let's get rid of him, you know, Trotsky style. Um mm. or they're gonna basically be like, Do you know what, fuck the West. Mm-hmm. You know? And then it sort of adds really to that 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 sort of cesspit of, you know, this anti West sort of propaganda and vice versa, because you know, it, it leads a lot back to as well this idea of you know there's always been this paranoia between the west and russia and specifically america and russia going back to the cold war and things like that, trying to move nuclear weapons into their backyard um mm-hmm. but you know it it's this paranoia and i think when you look at it as well no matter what foundation sort of you know putin lays out for his reasoning because at the end of the day it's propaganda both sides isn't it really i mean mm-hmm. you know West have their reason, Putin has his. But ultimately, I think to simplify it to me, I think Russia see Ukraine as their backyard. And 
if Ukraine becomes NATO, then that means that they have no, they no longer have that division, if that makes sense. So, you know, military NATO military can easily set up bases in Ukraine. They can easily pass through Ukraine if they need to. And to them, it's quite a, an anxiety sort of trigger, isn't it, for them? Because it's like, actually, you're going to, you know, you can come in at any point you want. But mm-hmm. vice versa, obviously, NATO and Europe are conscious of Russia and anxious of Russia. And I think the idea is, is that it's, oh, well, let's put something in their backyard. And then we've got that security. So, you know, it's it's different on both sides because from Russia's perspective, it's, oh, shit, you, um, I see you're setting up a military base there, or you could set up a military base there. But yeah. NATO are looking at it as protection, isn't it? So Russia, it's defence, and for NATO, it's sort of defence as well, but in two different mindsets. And obviously, yeah, I think this is the, you know, the issue is, is that, you know, this is where it comes to that that Putin apologist sort of mindset where people say, you know, at the moment, if you're anti-war, you know, you 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 believe what's happening in Ukraine is right and blah, 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 blah. But war is more than just what is on the table, if that makes sense. There's this sort of mm. idea at the moment that, you know, 500 Ukrainians have been killed today and 900 Russians. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And, and it's this sort of this celebratory thing where it's like, you know, if you look at war for what it is, it, it's murder. It, it's it's just murder. It's just plain murder because mm-hmm. someone's trying to force their ideology and and vice versa. Um, but you know, this this affects people on both sides, and it's very much been labelled as this. You know, Putin's war, Putin's war, and obviously, I mean, we've had discussions before, and you've sort of described it as Russia is basically just like a mafia, isn't it? It's like the mob, mm-hmm. you know, and Putin sort of. Sort acting head of the family if that makes sense yeah um but you know th- i don't think it makes you an apologist for basically saying i'm anti i'm anti-war i'm anti-murder and i can see both sides of this argument because it's almost uncouth isn't it that you would sort of show support for ukraine and then sort of say oh well, but on the other foot you know i think the russians you know like there could there's potential there because people are like well hang on a minute do you know what I mean? So it's yeah. a it's a very hard argument, and you know I think maybe the only way to you know resolve that conflict is as you say. I mean, a lot of people are talking about going back to that Minsk two agreement, aren't they? And actually mm. seeing it through correctly. Um, but I feel like at the moment it's I think it's become bigger than what it initially was. Um, in the sense that I think it's very much this is. This is Europe and, and NATO's time to basically destabilize Russia and, and kick Putin out. But yeah, obviously, so. uh, but obviously, it's the the most important thing should not be this this oh look this is an opportunist sort of thing. It should be let's stop the killing first. Let's yeah. find a way to stop this. Um, and obviously, Russia and Ukraine recently agreed, didn't they, that they would have safe passage for humanitarian aid and things like that. Um, and there's this very much this just defiance where a lot of the headlines, you know, oh, Putin's war is not going to plan. And, you know, and then you're hearing on, you know, Russia's side, oh, it's going very much to plan. Um, mm. But, you know, one thing I've noticed is that there's no accurate figures from anywhere, is there? Ukraine might say we killed 700 Russians today. UN will say that they killed 200. And then Russia will say, you know, one guy called Vlad walked in and killed 100 people in one fell swoop. But, it's just it's an insane sort of time to be in because wars now aren't aren't just fought on the ground, um, you know, minus obviously CNA and things like that as well. But it's it's very much an online information war as well now, isn't it? Where you can post anything, 
and anything is propaganda from anywhere because someone can take some information so they talk a lot about russian troll farms don't they where you've got this um you know this idea that there's the well not an idea it actually happens but they have these people that sit there all day and they just basically post shit on social media which is i'm pretty sure what most people over 40 do on facebook <laughs> on a daily basis anyway but um, it's sometimes hard to distinguish the two isn't it <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> and sounds just the same as this bot yeah um but, you know, th- this spreading of misinformation comes from both sides. And maybe, you know, I think the the difference of what we sometimes forget is that on Russia, there's an intention. You know, there's an intention that we are spreading this information because this is this is what propaganda we want to spread. But in the in sort of other countries, it's just this information getting out of hand, isn't it? Someone can make up any story they want and that information can go as far as it wants. So it sort of goes back very much to this misinformation we spoke about before on the podcast, where you're in a position now where it's very hard to know what to believe, isn't it? When things like this occur and big events occur, because as you mentioned as well earlier, that you know they only really get reported this heavily when it's already burst, the water's already burst. You know what I mean? So um, the water's already burst. Should I say the bubble? I don't know. The dam. But, <laughs> the dam's already burst. Exactly. The floodgates <laughs> are open. But and and that's the thing because not a lot of people have a lot of context. So then it's very easy then to say, "Woo, I whatever BBC said or woo, whatever the Guardian said." Do you know what I mean? Or whatever Farage said, if that's your sort of way that you swing. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, it's it's a very complex situation to be in, and. Going back to sanctions, one thing I would like to talk about is the idea of this, um, you know, you've got this sort of hierarchy of immigrants. So if you're Mm -hmm. a Syrian escaping war, um, please don't come here and take our jobs. Um, You know, we, we want a house. You don't get one. Um, If you're, you know, if you're a Palestinian escaping war, no, no visa, no visa checks for you. Do you know what I mean? Things like that. But if you're Ukrainian escaping war, it's almost as if, oh, because it's happening in our back garden, because they're close to us, it means that we should look after them because they're Europeans like us. Well, like us so, well, most of us would claim that we're probably not. But yeah. it's this sort of favouritism, isn't it, of saying they're allowed in. So obviously pretty Patel with the visas. There was this almost like a, this outrage, wasn't there? Because she said, well, you can have a 12-month visa, but you're going to have to pick bananas when you come here, okay? Um, and yeah, I think that came. That didn't. Did she didn't say that directly? Did did, did she? I think she got someone. Was it not a Home Office source or something who who who'd, uh, supplied this line to the press? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it was something that they presumably she'd authorized it, but rather than it come from her own mouth, she sort of sort of got one of her 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 um, minions to sort of you know <laughs> leak the line to the press. Um, so she's one step away from it, but yeah, that was pretty disgusting, wasn't it? Yeah, you you can you can have safety, but you've got to fucking come here and pick all our fruit and vegetables, yeah. you know, <laughs> and and none for you. Um, and then then there was a U turn, and she basically said, "Oh, we, we're going to expand the visas to three years." And the only thing that I'll say about that is that there's a, there's a criteria outside of just the fruit picking. You have to basically have a family. Or have you know family to then take part in this visa? So basically, if you're a single loner, um, you know, like a detached from your family or whatever in Ukraine mm-hmm. at the moment, then who's going to miss you? Is basically what yeah. she's saying. You know, you're not you're not going to get a visa. No one's even going to care if you go missing. 
Mm. You know, um, was it, was that extended to? I mean, were they saying any in any case? Because I, I understood that initially they were talking about um, taking people who had links to the UK. I mean, this is typically the way it works, anyway, isn't mm. it? So, if you have a link to the UK, you have a family member in the UK, uh, then you've you've got you know you're generally favoured for um, being granted permission to come here. Um, I don't know that they've actually set up any. I don't know. I presume they're working on it right now, but I'm not aware that they've actually even set up a proper route for people to to come yet. But in any case, obviously, if anybody tries to come to the UK by any other route, as we know, the legislation went through Parliament. If you try to come on a boat or whatever, you ain't getting in. You're not getting asylum. Um, so it's they're very limited anyway in terms of in terms of who uh, we're now going to sort of allow to to claim. Uh, but, asylum in this country, but I believe that they were initially saying as well that their definition of family, they were talking about family, and their different definition of family had then been narrowed down to being literally just um, either uh, a, a, a spouse or a child. So if, <laughs> if it was your mother in Ukraine and you wanted to bring her over, she's not family apparently, yeah. or if it's your sisters or your brothers... Apparently, that no longer fits in the definition of family. So, you know, they're just literally... Well, they don't count, do they, Rob? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've pared yeah. it down to this this kind of incredibly mean, sort of nasty, um, you know, definition of, of just these tiny little... This is what a family is. In fact, that's actually the, 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 the Tory traditionally... Well, say traditionally, but certainly since Thatcher, Thatcher's definition of a family was literally the nuclear family, the... the the mum and dad and kids. That's it. That that was her definition of what a family is. Nobody else really counted. So they haven't. At least they're consistent there. They're still yeah. basically sticking with with uh, old Maggie's idea there. <laughs> and outside of that, you know, that, that nobody else is is of relevance. You know, no such thing as society or anything like that. So yeah, there's there's sort of a Tory consistency there. Definitely, pretty Patel is in 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 the Thatcher mould, no doubt about it. And that, but that, um, that's that's the issue with it, though, isn't it? It's like, why is it biased? Like, oh, okay, well, you, you know, if you're a Syrian refugee escaping war, um, it doesn't matter if you've if you've not not only have you escaped war, but you know, like whether you're from Palestine or Syria, wherever, not only have you escaped war, you've then risked your life to get here through multiple dangerous routes. Um, and at the risk as well of, of being turned back, you know, you can get to any point and you could get taken all the way back to the beginning. It's like snake, mm. snakes and ladders, isn't it? You land on that one bloody snake before 100 and you go all the way back down to one. Um, but, you know, th- this is the thing, isn't it? You know, why is people's mindset? They've been so anti-refugees. Now, all of a sudden, they're like, oh, but if you're at war in Ukraine, come here. And I'm not saying... Don't take well, I think I think the mood has yeah. shifted. You're right in that there, there there is a bit of a shift in mood, particularly because um, you only have to look back. Um, not even that long ago, let's face it. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, immediately after the Brexit vote, um, and really, you know, up until. I think the pandemic has sort of changed things a bit because obviously, you know, and it coincided with leaving the EU. So there's far less Eastern European people coming to the UK. But certainly that period, let's say, I think it was sort of 20, I guess 2014, that was the era when it was building up and that was leading into the referendum. And through to about 2018, I mean, uh, people from that part of the world, Eastern Europeans, Polish and Romanians, Bulgarians, 
you know, uh, faced huge amount of xenophobia and racism in the UK and, 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 you know, people being outright hostile, um, towards these people. Um, obviously, like I say, it, 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 there does now seem to have been something of a, a change and a softening there that, that people having seen the plight of, of people in Ukraine, seeing the outbreak of war, seeing what's going on, suddenly people feel a little bit more kindly towards Eastern Europeans. So that's, that's really a bit of a, a bit of a switch around there. Um, I, I, I will at this point just bring up um, the comment in the house, house of commons uh, the other day. Um, As always. Good. Uh, Tory MP, Tory Comedy MP, gold. Edward, Edward Lee, um, he was responding in a debate to Pretty Patel, and um, yeah, he he rather missed the mark, I think. Um, but he said to her, "I do urge uh, her, referring to Pretty Patel, to listen to the voices of people, for instance, in Lincolnshire, where we really feel we have done our bit in terms of migration from Eastern Europe." So this is this is, you know, a hangover from that that post Brexit attitude. But as I say, in general, I've not noticed quite as much hostility um we've we mentioned kent live before haven't we on here i mean kent live comments always oh, always a, a a a quality experience um if you want you want to get your fill of bigotry for the day um Honestly. The kent live of course they do like to ask sort of little provocative questions um on their on their facebook feed and so they they put the question about um how do people feel about um bringing refugees from Ukraine. And I was, I was pleasantly surprised. Well, I say pleasantly surprised. Um, I was somewhat surprised that the, the, the response was generally speaking, um, positive. Um, I would say at least two thirds of the comments were generally positive. And I have to say, uh, in terms of whenever, whenever refugees come up on Ken live, normally it's just a, you know, just a barrage of people saying Britain is full and, uh, um, send them back and all the rest of it, you know? So I, I feel like something has shifted, but some of that of course is to do with, um, ethnicity, isn't it really? Because, yeah. Because these are white people who are who are being bombed, and they're not Af- Afghans or Iraqis or basically anyone else who's just the wrong shade of brown. You know, yeah, it's it's the, it's the terrorism buzzword, isn't it? So when you hear Muslim in a sentence, people are who. When you hear brown Muslim in a sentence, people are mm. like Jesus Christ. You know, metal detector on the way in, please. But mm. this is, but this is the issue, isn't it? It's that you know, like I sort of make, I sort of make humour of it. But at the end of the day, this is what the media has constructed for a very long time. I mean, that you notice there's a stark difference, and I've said this a million times in my, well, yeah, a million times now, where the media will put, for example, if it's like a, um, you know, for example, um, Al- Albanian Muslim man uh, rapes. Uh, young girl on the way to school, or whatever. Um, on the other hand, um, mentally ill Christian white male from Dover or whatever, you know, kills family of six. And people are mm. probably more disgusted by the fact that it's the Muslim Albanian man. And it's because they find this a way of referencing religion and nationality when it's not important about who's done the crime. You know, like when you sit there and it, they say, um, 
you know, uh, I don't know Portuguese or Turkish or whatever. It's not relevant. Mm. You don't need to say uh, it's not relevant to the crime. So it has created a stigma where, as you say, wrong shade, you know, wrong religion for a start. Um, mm. People don't want you here. Um, so I think maybe as well, maybe it's a level of ignorance as well from the UK's part because I, you know, how much did I know about Ukraine before this all kicked off? Not a lot, really. Did I know that their president used to be a comedian? No. Um, <laughs> But, you know, you, you learn this stuff. And I think people are almost um, sort of a bit uh, brainwashed because they, they, they don't actually really know what Ukraine's about. So they're like, yeah, come here. Um, and, uh, oh, and, and you know, like the president as well, because to them at the moment, he's basically like a martyr, isn't he? If, mm. if, he, if Zelensky got killed, they would basically, well, I mean, I don't know what we'd do. We'd probably stand outside and clap. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know what we do, but you know, but it's one of those things, isn't it? Is that if if anything happened to him, because people were very much painting him as like a war hero, he's like a modern day Churchill, isn't he? You know, even though Ch- obviously the difference being that Churchill sat there and done fuck all and done a good good speech every now and then, and then pushed pushed a few figures around on a chessboard or whatever. Um, but you know, playing with his little Playmobil set. But you know, Zelensky's one of these people. He's saying, you know, they offered him a ride out, and he's like, no. So at the moment, he's being very much painted as a hero. So obviously, yeah. I, I suppose the mindset could be, oh, you know, if you're they used to say, team. you know, he's had. A, they would say he's had a good war. He's had a good war, hasn't he, Zelensky? He's had a good war. <laughs> <laughs> it's going well for old Zelensky. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, until he gets assassinated, apparently he survived three assassination attempts in one day. So. Well, again, he's having a good war. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, I, I guess that's why they're sending so many people after him as well, isn't it? Because he is really, he's, he's, you know, he's, um, he's, he's catnip for uh, social media. Um, yeah, they, they love him. Yeah, and it's not even yeah. just—he's not even just swaying his own people or, or the international community. He's—he's he's also obviously people in Russia must be seeing him and thinking, "Well, this guy has got balls of steel." Mm. Um, you know, he doesn't care. But then they almost sort of act as if, you know, um, I heard a comment from someone the other day where they were talking about sort of Putin. They were like, well, well, why isn't he in there? What do you mean, mm. why isn't Of course he's not going to be in bloody Ukraine. Oh, come on, comrades. Let's go yeah. uh, invade you. That's not how it works. When does it ever work no. like that? No one ever not. says, why wasn't Winston Churchill there? No. You know what I mean? Why no. didn't he fire the first bullet and kill the first German? Yeah, you know, but well, in actual fact, I mean, as has been said before as well, I mean, this is how war should work, really. If war breaks out, all of the leaders should should line up with their guns and have it out between them. You know, leave the rest of us out of it. But no, of course, it doesn't happen. It would mm. it wouldn't happen. Um, no. But the only thing I would say as well is this: um, the what, obviously not going too much just straight into immigration here, but obviously you know about the two million pound golden visas. This is the um, this this is uh, the Tories offering cash for visas. Basically, is this the yeah. thing you're referring so, to? Yeah, and this is what I find interesting as well is that there's this sort of idea that um, you know we don't want immigrants here and stuff like that. But how many of, how many top Russians do you think probably have a golden visa? I mean, what's two million mm. quid if you're a Russian oligarch? Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. It's, it's nothing is it um so yeah and that's sort of come to light lately because there was a documentary about it a few years ago actually about these golden visas and it didn't get a lot of traction um probably from the title people weren't very interested visas yeah you know um but obviously with these golden visas they're now sort of no one sort of shed light on the fact or actually 
suggested the fact that maybe we should stop doing gun visas. Like Pretty Patel has announced that they're going to stop doing it. But what's the trigger been? Because we found out that probably about 90% of them were sold to Russians. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It, and, and the irony being as well is that what, you know, are the, are the Tory party going to declare bankruptcy after they get rid of all their Russian donations? They're not giving those fucking donations <laughs> back, are they? They've already said as much, haven't they? They won't be giving any back. Yeah. And that's what I mean. And, and it's like almost, oh, it's punishment. No, it's not. Well, they've just got a blind spot to anything that affects them directly, haven't they? You know, mm. so you know, taking all talking tough in lots of ways, but you know, w- when it comes down to it, yeah, they they've taken dirty Russian cash, and you know, there's um, the the son of a former KGB um, uh, man in in the House of Lords um, put there by Boris Johnson. I mean, he's still there. Nobody's talking about doing anything about that. So. <clears throat> anything that comes to when it comes to them and their party that that's where they draw the line you know we don't talk about that you know so yeah and i don't I think- actually see things really changing as far as the tory party is concerned either because um you know they 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 although i did i did see um i think that there is uh an investigation into i'm sorry i've forgotten the name of the ben elliott was it and i think his oh here he is company doesn't have the information in front of him. I don't have I don't have <laughs> the figures in front of me. Um, ben Elliott, I think he run, he's someone who does a lot of fundraising for the mm. Tory Party. I think there is going to be an investigation into him. So that's that's um, a bit of a turn up for the books. Um, but yeah, I mean they're never going to change. The thing is, they're they're the party of 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 the rich. So obviously. Uh, that's what they attract. They're going to they're going to take donations from from extremely wealthy people, and some of those extremely wealthy people will have done dubious things to uh, to get themselves into the position position where they can give half a million, a million quid, two million quid to the Tory party. Yeah. So, really, you know, it might not be Russian money, but it's probably some other fucking dodgy <laughs> cash coming from somewhere else, isn't it? Yeah. Um, that's the that's who, that's who they are. That's that's who the Tories are. That's who the Tory party is. So it's not really going to change. But one, one thing that would be good to talk about, obviously you mentioned about the, you know, house of Lords and having uh, the son of a wealthy Russian man in there basically. But one thing that'd be interesting to talk about is what's happening with labor. Um, Because we've been pretty moppy with labor, haven't we lately? Like we're, Mm. we're like, we're labor men, but (laughs) we we don't, we don't, we don't like it. But um, obviously, there's this talk, isn't there, of so Jeremy Corbyn's not getting his whip reinstated because he signed the pact against NATO's expansion, mm. um, and there's another eleven or ten MPs that are apparently getting the boot. Um, mm. It's like this witch hunt all over again, isn't it? It's like this bloody, you know, one minute they're anti-Semites um, because they talk out against Israel, and now that they're anti-war, well, there's worse things to be in the world, isn't there? Bloody mm. being anti-war. And they're getting kicked out of the party because they're saying that murder's wrong. But yeah. one thing I'd like to add before we go on, this is just a more of a philosophical point um, before we just talk about that little bit about the MPs. Um, but there's this, there's this really weird ideology, I think, amongst people where there's what I call like acceptable murder. So, you know, it's almost, um, it goes back to that point earlier where I said, you know, that we sort of almost, we, we mourn the deaths of Ukrainians, but we s- celebrate the deaths of Russians. And it's this idea sort of thing where 
um, it depends on who starts it. So if you look at it like this, for example, you'll see some articles where, you know, someone will murder someone. And, you know, the idea is, is that that's the, that's the worst crime you can commit. Taking someone's life is the absolute mm -hmm. worst possible thing you can do as a, as a moral sentient person. Um, but if that person then goes to prison, they're writing articles celebrating, guess what? He was murdered in prison. And it's sort of like this idea of, you know, an eye for an eye. It's that old tradition, isn't it? That eye for an eye. Yeah. Um, and that's what I think has been, so, that's what I find so w weird about this, um, you know, and off putting about this, this anti-war, you know, sentiment where people are basically saying, oh, you know, if you're anti-war, it's wrong. But then it's like, mm. but, but going to war, means that there's just deaths either side of people who are just following orders, people who are just doing this and whatever. Um, and that's the way that war has always been. So to say that there's an acceptability, like, you know, for example, um, you know, oh, good on the, um, you know, good on the troops for, you know, killing this many people. Oh, this guy gets a medal because he's killed 20 people or whatever. It's a really weird mindset to me. And, you know, the yeah. whole, I think the idea of this NATO expansion is that, it's, it's this idea of dismissing a defensive pact and just politically aligning, isn't it? And saying that, okay, well, let, we can all agree that this is wrong. You know, you don't need to be in a, you know, this, this idea where you're constantly on high alert. Cause I think that's what NATO is. It's almost in a way, it's quite conductive being part of NATO because you're basically, the, the, I mean, the key saying is attack on one of us is attack on all of us. Mm -hmm. But are we really moving to a peaceful society if you get to a point where, Actually, the only way you can do it is just build up as many numbers as possible to incite that. Don't don't touch us because well, we're gonna fucking mess you up. Do you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, it's really yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I just don't I just don't really agree that mindset. I think you either either murder is acceptable or it's not. There's no levels yeah. of acceptability. Well, um, this was the I think it was the um, one of the uh, last of the surviving. Um, World War One vets Harry Patch, who was a became an anti-war campaigner, and he described it war as legalized mass murder, which mm. I think which is a an excellent description, really. Um, yeah, it is. It's uh, it's it's this this idea. I mean, you you can feel the war fever that's building, and this is why this is why. Okay, we haven't got involved yet, but the the danger level is rising that we are going to end up getting involved because because the the war fever grows and grows and we're only at the start of this now so um, like the world cup and this and this but yeah and this is why this is why um the the anti-war campaign is so important and to some extent people might think well why why is there an anti-war campaign because we're not actually we haven't gone to war the point is that the the, the anti-war campaign is about is about trying to get in front of events and say very very firmly no no to war war is wrong we shouldn't be involved um uh, but you you can sort of see that the way that the way that as soon as war, war had broken out you had people you know wanting to get involved literally people from england wanting to how they're going to do it i don't know travel you know hundreds of miles to ukraine um, where are they going to get the kit from? I don't know, but they're going to get the kit. They're going to get their gun. And they're going to out, go out there and they're going to shoot some some ruskies. Um, and and it's it's madness, you know. Pe people who have no military experience, 
they just they just feel they've got to do something, you know. That's been encouraged and, and, by and Liz Truss, wasn't it? She well, Liz Truss, Liz Truss, that was disgraceful that she actually she actually encouraged that, which I, I found I find almost unbe- unbelievable. Apart from anything else, um, is against the law because if you wanted to go out um, to uh, a fight uh, in the Middle East on behalf of uh, on behalf of ISIS, you'd, you'd probably find yourself. Um, no longer a citizen of the UK. Well, obviously, depending uh, on your background, um, yeah, on the colour of your skin, and, and the colour yeah. of your skin, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you, you you could well find find yourself having your your citizenship revoked. Yeah. Um, it, it, that's the law. So it's crazy, actually, for for the the foreign secretary to be encouraging people to do this. But it's madness. If you want to help with the war effort, there are actually ways you can do that. There are lots of things you can do. Um, particularly, I mean, we've, we've had the Disasters Emergency Committee um, issue their um, press release, I think, just yesterday or the day before. Uh, so now we've got the all the agencies now coordinating their response. So if you want to get involved, you know, go to the website of the D- Disasters Emergency Committee and there'll probably be lots of information about things that they need, um, ways that you can give and donate and so on. If you want to help the people of Ukraine, that's the best way you can do it. The idea of actually sort of packing yourself off to Ukraine and and somehow thinking that you can make a difference. I mean, there's equal chance you're going to just get someone else killed or make, make, make things worse. So it's madness, isn't it? But then that that's what I mean. That is the sort of war fever that kind of builds in people. Um, yeah, it's quite scary. And it's odd, isn't it? Because we're, we are... The diplomatic, peaceful monks of the world, you know, <laughs> the West, you know, the NATO. We we only go in if it's necessary. We we're here to save the goddamn world, and we're going to stop what's killing. But if you want to go over there and kill some people, by all means, Liz Truss mm. will range a private jet, probably with a Union Jack sprayed on it, <laughs> and you'll arrive there. And fuck it, she will give you equipment from the actual military if you want it um <laughs> she will you know you know it's like do you remember that bloody ridiculous article you sent me about that woman uh that, well, that, late, that journalist wrote and she said um uh sorry, sorry about that woman um, that, uh, well that journalist uh the journalist wrote i can't remember her name and she basically said that she can imagine her her daughter leading oh. a tank battalion <laughs> <laughs> that was absurd wasn't it yeah I mean, daily telegraph me, journalist wasn't it let me um, read yeah that. if you can find that yeah read that that's worth reading out because that is absolutely I have, ludicrous I have, I have this um, but yeah, this is an example of it, isn't it? This this is someone being gripped by this sort of war fever. I mean, just bizarre. It, it's insane. Um, but I think that that's the odd thing about it, though, is that why on earth is there? You know, why is why is there this drum up as well, where people almost it's almost like people are egging it on, like, come on, mm. let's get involved for good old days. But people kind of forget something, you know, in World War One. You know, we were fighting with what we thought was the peak of warfare, you know, equipment. Do you know what I mean? That was the peak of warfare, World War One. Mm. World War Two came along. They were still sent at the beginning, they you know, the British Army was still sending people in with sabres on horses, getting yeah. gunned down by guns that shoot more bullets than they've ever shot, I think, in bloody World War One. And now we're at a point where there's nuclear weapons and things like that. And I mean I never ever have agreed with America's justification for when they dropped the atomic bomb on Hiroshima mm-hmm. and Nagasaki because by the sounds of it Japan were already on 
on basically on the on the back hills, weren't they ready to surrender? Yeah. Um, and I think really it was just sort of a oh look, this is a good opportunity to see what this actually does, isn't it? Like, oh, what does this button do? Um, and they killed one hundred and fifty thousand people, if not more. You know, mm. people's shadows burned into the ground because they just disintegrated from what they were. Do you know what I mean? To nothing. Mm. And people seem to hype up this idea of oh yeah, war. And it's like yeah, but things have changed now it's not you know we war wouldn't just be like how it looks in ukraine because this is just an invasion it's mm. still war but it's sort of like just in that one enclosed space but if you talked about you know the uk sending over the lads you know what i mean mm. going over there to go sort shit out you know good old uk then what what's going to happen i mean people have got countries got missiles now that can shoot you know two thousand miles and if not more some countries have missiles that can go into space before they yeah. go and hit their target <clears throat> so there's no way that you're going to want to drum up uh, the support for a war because it's just absolutely ludicrous mm. um but i'm just trying to find this um this article because it's it is important i think to yeah while you're doing it i'll just mention as well because talking oh, about um i just uh, found it you found, i'll go go for it sorry just very quick so this is jemima lewis okay so the heading of this on in this is the telegraph isn't it I think it's the Telegraph. Oh, yeah, yeah, Telegraph. It came with a yeah. yeah. Sorry, I had to just hold my sick in. Um, so the title is: <laughs> For the first time, I am starting to regret choosing to have children. Right. So just, I'm just going to read you this extract from it. So I'm starting to regret having children. This is for me the most extreme side effect of peering over the abyss created by Putin's war. The future, already so much less promising for my children's generation than it was for mine, is sadly uh, is suddenly darkened by terrors beyond any that I expected to arise in my own lifetime or theirs. It sounds like the start to a good book, doesn't it? <laughs> um, will my boys, my sweet bookish boys, have to fight for freedom in Europe, or my girl for that matter? She's brave and combative, and I can see her leading a tank battalion. <laughs> But these are the mental calculations I find myself doing in the middle of the night in my safe bed in a safe country. For my, uh, for now, my daughter is only 10. Uh, the boys are more likely to become eligible for conscription before World War Three is over. And that is assuming we haven't all been nuked first, which no longer make, uh, feels like a safe assumption to make. <laughs> what the oh, f- what is just, going on? It's mad stuff, isn't it, really? Um, but yeah, I... I, I yeah, I was going to just going to briefly mention as well because we did talk about um, um, war casualties earlier, and it's and it's worth pointing out as well that um, you know if we, if we look back back at how war was waged, of course it was generally two armies, literally armies of, of professional soldiers. Obviously, it was conscription, mm. um, just slugging it out on the battlefield, and then whoever whoever was left standing, they won. So. In that case, really, I mean, the idea in the 19th century of any civilians being harmed, I mean, I'm not saying it wouldn't happen um, for, for a variety of reasons, but essentially wars were, were, were fought between professional armies, and that's it. And I mean, the rules of warfare still basically are based, uh, you know, are based on the idea that armies are fought by, you know, professional armies, uh, wars are fought by professional armies, professional soldiers, um, and they kill each other, and that's fine because that's what soldiers do. And so that you know, where we where we try to where die. we where we kind of say what a war crime is, that's that's all based around um, where civilians get killed, and sometimes it happens by accident. Obviously, other times civilians are targeted, but civilians have increasingly been 
um, falling victims, becoming victims of of wars, both in terms of um, those who have and those who haven't lost their lives. I mean, we know about. Um, I mean, landmines, which I think, you know, are still used, they're banned, but they're still used. But um, landmines obviously remaining, uh, you know, in areas and people losing limbs and being blown up for years after the conflict's finished. Um, uh, You know, the use of uh, indiscriminate weapons, uh, weapons of war, weapons of war, um, you know, which which are, you know, new technologies. but it does seem to be this movement towards waging war in ways where civilians are more likely or not are going to end up losing their lives. Yeah. Um, and I think civilian deaths, as far as I know, I would like to have the figures. And once again, I don't because I just <laughs> thought of it. But civilian deaths, I believe, do uh, outnumber um, deaths be- of, of, of those in armed forces significantly in in recent wars to be fair though as well that's the issue with why we haven't sort of mentioned figures for what's going on in ukraine because there's no accurate figures is there at the moment well there won't be i mean i don't to be honest like without making light of it but i don't know who's counting like how do you Mm. know you know when they say you know for example well this many uh, how do you know but it's yeah i I 100 get what you mean and i think I think I don't want people to walk away from this episode thinking that there's this almost this tone from me where I'm saying that I'm anti-West. I'm, mm. I'm not anti-West, I'm anti-war. Um, and I definitely am happy to call out as a citizen of of the West, of, of NATO, whatever, um, I'm happy to call out when there's similarities between our actions to the actions that we then denounce. Mm. And, you know, when we talk about, yeah, indiscriminate bombing, I mean, you know, going back to something I think was probably one of the most disgusting weapons I ever seen got used was, um, you know, in Vietnam when they used napalm, which was basically liquid fire. And yeah. so you've got the famous pictures of children running, um, you know, on, on fire. On fire. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, and, and where was the U S is sanctioned? <clears throat> oh, wait. Yeah. NATO. <laughs> but, um, well, I, this is yeah. an opportune moment to mention as well. Um, the comment I saw the other day, I mean, this was extraordinary. And in fact, this this was, I was going to talk about this really in, in relation to um, some of the some of the undercurrents of, of racism we've seen in people's responses. We talked a little bit about that, the fact that, you know, this is a war that's happening in a, a quote, civilized, uh, you know, largely white European country. Um but in terms of uh, yeah, in terms of the way that people have responded to that in the media, it's, it's quite. They've said some quite surprising things. There's there's maybe some mitigation for that, but I'll just read you this. This was a comment in terms of the, in terms of the use of of weapons. Now we've heard about uh, the fact that Russia have these thermobarbic missiles. What is that? Um, well, basically, it's it's a it's a um, it's an explosive which as far as i understand it it sucks in the air from uh, the envi- the immediate environment and so it sort of fills fills the air, the, the whole um uh the, the whole immediate area with 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 kind of burning flame i mean it's 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 fairly indiscriminate as far as i understand yeah. it I, I don't know exactly but there's there's a particular there's a particular a design here which which makes it a, a much like more, a furnace 
It's like yeah, it, yeah, uh, yeah. It creates creates those sort of conditions over a wider area than it would with with sort of conventional um, weapon. Uh, so um, this this was this was Ma- this is Matthew Wright. Matthew Wright, who used to uh, uh, host the um, was it the right the right stuff? What was the show on Channel Five? He used to do the morning show. Oh, I didn't anyway, know Channel Five still existed. Yeah, <laughs> Channel Five. Anyway, yeah. Um, he was he was on television, and this this was his this was his um, comment uh, regarding the use of thermobarbic missiles. He said. They're a sort of vacuum bomb, which, to be fair, the US has used before in Afghanistan. But the idea of it being used in Europe is stomach churning. So, and this is, I mean, this is exactly this is exactly the the tone of of, of a lot of these comments. So he he's basically saying there that as far as he's concerned, um, it wasn't so much of a problem when when it was being used by America in Afghanistan because, well people in afghanistan don't really matter so much do they you know and uh, but when it's been used in europe europe and on, on europeans oh that, that really turned his stomach yeah. you know i mean it's just the the, the whole undercurrent there it, it, it is it's distasteful um but yeah to to um there was a few others that I've, i'm just going to give you a few other examples here of of um of, of comments uh, along these lines that have, have, have appeared in the, in the media recently um the other day there was a, a military uh, man's uh, general sir richard barons appeared on newsnight he said how does public opinion in the uk react to seeing people who look and live like us being slaughtered um so he was he was basically saying um you know it, 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 there's this distinction you know um he feels that public opinion is basically gonna gonna be um radically kind of uh kind of shaken up mm. by the thought of 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 um of people who who look and live like us um this idea falling people, victims yeah this idea sort of like people from yemen and syria and Palestine things like they're not like us yeah it's, it's that phrase isn't it who look they're like us well, that's obviously what he's saying when he's saying oh they look like us and they live like us there's the idea of, of civilization there isn't it or western civilization that you know if you're if you're not if you don't conform to the to the way we live in the west you're somehow lesser oh, and, um, and these are white people rob Ukraine is yeah. white people, and they well again they buy it gets Ikea worse. Like us, so the next day on Newsnight, you had um, Ukraine's deputy chief prosecutor. He said, "It's very emotional f- for me because I see European people with blue eyes and blonde hair being killed." Oh, that was highly traumatic for him. I mean, he's probably seen many deaths of of you know brown haired, uh, brown skinned Arabs. But that that, that didn't really concern him too much. But. No. I mean, the real trauma for him was was when it was people with blue hair and blonde hair, uh, not blue, well, blue hair, possibly blue hair. Who knows? Uh, bl- blonde hair and blue <laughs> blue eyes. Um, and and um, yeah, and then Dan- Daniel Hannan, Daniel Hannan, um, who you may be familiar with as the one of the masterminds behind the uh, Leave campaign. Um, he wrote in the Daily Tele- Telegraph. They seem so like us. That's what makes it so shocking. Ukraine is a European country. Its people watch Netflix and have Instagram accounts. Well, there you go. I mean, obviously, no one in Iraq or or, or Syria could possibly have an Instagram account, could they? I mean, they're just they're just I mean, savages. They they just live in these little square, you know, huts with 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 a with an open fire where they they 
you know, this is a hundred percent cooking a big pot. <laughs> because I'll tell you, I'll tell you what my uh, the someone I know basically they are they are friends with someone and they've known them for a very long time who are from Afghanistan. And he was saying that people genuinely think that they don't have washing machines, that they don't have plumbing, that they don't have electricity. And he said, you know, like when obviously when the Taliban come and they, or, or you know, any sort of really far right group, um, I say far extremist sort of group, or maybe far right, um, mm. but yeah, extremist group comes in. Um, what they do is they they get rid of that because it's like Western, you know, it's that Western influence. So let's get rid of this washing machine. Let's get rid of all the books. Do you know what I mean? The only book you're gonna have on shelves is the Quran and things like that. And that is genuinely the mindset. I think people, when they think, it's like when people think about Africa, they just think, oh, it's some person sat in a vision, a mud hut, and yeah. there's nothing else around them. Uh, they've got a farm or something. They've, they've or, got a roof made of straw. Yeah, they just they just go around farming yeah. oxen and stuff, and yeah. you know, wear, and wearing it, as you know, if as if and, these people, you know, don't these countries and these cultures haven't got things that we have, um, even if they've not got the latest stuff. I can imagine that you know these countries still have people have washing machines and things like that, mm. and, but people treat them as a lesser nation, don't they? I think mm. that that falls into a much bigger thing. I'm not going to go away from your your wonderful comments that you've handpicked, <laughs> but um, but yeah, that it goes into a much bigger argument, doesn't it? Where there is this this hierarchy, almost like much like you've got a class system in a country, you've almost got this international class system where you know you've got a first world country, a developing country, and a third world country. And a developing country can only be awarded to those countries that want to become very much like the ideology of 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 the international law and things like mm. that, isn't it? And it's democracy that we all believe in. Yeah, but they basically have to accept neoliberal capitalism, otherwise they're regarded as being somehow savages, you know, lesser and savage. But yeah, the I would I would say the only thing to say about this, and and you know, this is not to defend these particular comments, but I think there is there is there. there to some extent, the reaction amongst the general public um, is probably is probably enhanced by. It's like if you you know if you heard about a mass murder that happened in the village where you grew up or something, you know, it would it would it would strike you in a way that it might not someone else, you know. And mm. I think I think there's maybe something to be said for you know there there being. It could be that you turn on TV and somewhere looks like the road you live on or something, you know, and that's, and that's maybe, you know, I can maybe understand that to an that's extent. The connection. That people, it's, it's just having, it's just a sort of establishing that empathy, isn't it really? Mm. Um, which, which we all have. And maybe it's just the way that, that foreign countries are presented that they're often, as you say, they're, they're, they're kind of presented as being, uh, very un, unwestern and unlike, um, not to the, the kind of place that we advanced. live in, and and, and, yeah. and it, you know that, that sort of alienation. It's probably a lot of it is just down to, you know, most people are not going to have visited these kind of, you know, somewhere like Syria or Iraq or you know or Libya, let's say, and they're not yeah. going to know. Um, they're not going to know. And and, and um, you know, not going to visit these countries. So don't you only experience of these kinds of places is is very mediated it's going to be what you've seen um not necessarily in the news even but it's it's always going to be to to an extent a sort of mediated experience and and it it it's just the way that the media works isn't it it's going to pick up on certain things I mean, particularly if if you're because they'll often use 
um, there'll be certain tropes of, of, of exoticism, for example, about the kind of people you'll meet in, you know, if it was in Morocco or something, or uh, there'll be these connotations there. And, it, and it's a lot of it is about it being the other or slightly alien. So I guess that's that's it all feeds in. It all feeds through, doesn't it? Ultimately, when people hear about things in these parts of the world, you've got all these um, preconceptions which have got nothing to do with any direct experience um, that you might have had um, that are going to colour your response. And it's, it's, it's sort of understandable, but I do think that when you've got, I mean, in this instance, you know, you've got otherwise, you know, quite intelligent and cosmopolitan um, people making these kind of comments, uh, you know, a, a general in the army. I mean, it, it's, you know, it, it does, it does go beyond that. And it does, you know, it, do, it does underline, um, the, the, you know, the sort of, the sort of racism, um, uh, you know, that, that, that we, that we know is there and we know, uh, you know, we've we've seen it. We've we've lived through the last few years after the Brexit referendum. <laughs> we know we know it's still there, um, and 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 that I found that I found um, quite interesting, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I, I see what you mean because yeah, this, this connection of that's what connects us to them because what we see on in these other conflicts is not something that looks familiar to us. Um, but yeah, I I think I don't know I don't know what's going to happen with the conflict i think you know there's there's room for diplomatic resolution there isn't there 100 percent um but what how that diplomatic resolution comes i don't know but i think if there's this continuous obsession you know this sort of uh, everyone's got a hard on for war and you've got you know and you know you're getting people talking up like gordon brown what, what's this man's relevance nowadays I, mm. I couldn't care what gordon brown has to say about the war but um you know, but you get you know once you get rid of that, and as long as there's not this obsessant desire for, um, you know, th- this sort of idea that, you know, maybe this is a time to you know denounce Putin, and maybe now it's time to get him out of power. And I think as long as that doesn't become the main objective, there is maybe well there is a chance really for peaceful resolution, isn't there? Um, yeah, but I, I definitely think so. I, I this is what I was saying to you, wasn't it, about the fact that. So much of the response to um, to what's going on there uh, from from a large chunk, uh, I, w- I would definitely say this is this is very much something which is there in in the in the liberal media, um, particularly. But uh, obviously, also liberal politicians tend to think this way. I think the current leadership of the Labour Party have a, a dangerous obsession with with NATO. Um, I mean, to the extent that they won't. You know, um, they won't accept any criticism of NATO whatsoever. It seems at the moment, um, but yeah, th- this 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 um, attitude seems to be. Uh, it's a conflation, really, of of the fact. You know, yes, war has broke out. Yes, Putin is a bad guy, um, but the answer to war having broke out, broken out, is not to then escalate the war in the hopes of removing Putin, because that's not going to happen. 
And I think this is where people, as I think I said to you, this is, this is sort of, this is, this is fantasy, this sort of magical thinking. These are, these are often people who, who regard themselves as the grown ups in the room, you know, the, the sensible, yeah. the sensible crowd. Um, uh, you know, they, they, you know, they, they will, they will, they will tend to have very, um, very condescending views of people on the left who will, will obviously talk about socialism and be like, oh no 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 you know this this is this is this is nonsense this is this is uh, you know uh, idealism it's idealism but it can never it can never be you've got to talk about things that are real and possible i mean the thing is their their view i think is more fantastical because they're actually thinking that this is reality at the moment in terms of someone who is broadly socialist in our outlook, you know, we believe it's possible to move to a better world and to move to a socialist world, but we're we're not in any doubt about what kind of world we're living in now. I think we're very clear about what kind of world we're living in now. It's a far from ideal world. It's a it's a world with huge, huge problems. Um, many of which are just going to get worse and worse if we continue to live in the kind of system we're in. And these people on the other hand basically think that the world is okay as it is um and this is where they're so deluded i think and this is why when they're looking at this kind of situation um somehow they 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 can convince themselves that there is a military solution how can there be a military solution when you're facing down a a superpower with something like is it something like 14,000 Nuclear warheads. It's, I it's think a, they, well, I don't know because that, that number that has, has it gone down. Number changes a lot because it used to be. A, I think it was. I've read in some articles four thousand plus. I've read in other articles that it's more than that. Um, I mean, we're talking thousands, aren't we? But there's the, a lot. There's a lot. Regardless, you know, you don't even need that. Many. If you you don't need that many, you don't need that many. Um, I think we're still in an overkill situation. How how can it how can it be sensible to even to give any any credence to to the idea, to even entertain the idea of entering into a nuclear uh, into a conflict with it with a nuclear power, um, I mean we we don't even have a military alliance with Ukraine. So how do you then send troops to this country without that escalating? It's just not, how can you set up a no fly zone? You're going to shoot down Russian planes. It, it's nonsense, isn't it? It's surely it's nonsense, um, and and. And as I say, it's sort of driven by this idea that, well, the bigger picture is we've got to get rid of the bad man. Very much, very much a parallel there with the way that the um, Iraq war came out. It started, you know, and built up from the premise that this is the bad man and everything will be great if we get rid of him. You know, we can liberate Iraq and it will become a a functional democracy if we and if we get rid of him destabilization in that well period. look at look at the cost of that look at the mm. cost i mean the cost a million a million dead in iraq um you know i think if you'd asked uh, the families of, of of the dead you know would would they would they like to be free um and you know have lost their 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 love you know beloved family members um in this conflict, or would they? Would they? Would they rather? You know, things were as they were under Saddam. I mean, it's hard to think that many of them would say, "Oh yes, well, 
yes, thank you so much for the democracy. Yeah, uh, I, I don't. I don't think they would. I mean, it's not. It's not to say. It's not to say that Putin isn't bad, and and that it wouldn't be great to get rid of him. Of course, it would. Of course, it'd be, it'd be fantastic if 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 Putin was no longer um, calendar. You know, uh, yeah. But um, but but that's not reality. That's not that's not where we are, and that's not that's not how you can possibly approach what's going on right now. The only way, the only way, is to obviously try to support the people of Ukraine through um, the organisations we have, the the workers on the ground taking in humanitarian aid, support them through this time, but. Let the let the dis- diplomats and the peacemakers get on with it. Let's not keep rattling with the saber around. And thankfully, it does seem that the government um, are not being swayed by these people at the moment. Mm. But things can change. Like I say, war fever builds. Um, it's not impossible. You know, something could happen. I think it was a good point made. Um, earlier on, on on something I was watching um, regarding the attack on the um, nuclear power station. There was some shelling of a nuclear power station and um, the initial reports were were sort of suggesting that, you know, that the, there was a fire was breaking out. There was in danger of a, the reactor exploding. I mean, it wasn't, it turned out anywhere near as dramatic as that, but the, the point is that this this is the kind of thing. Now, if that had happened, I mean, I'm sure for a start, Russia aren't going to want to blow up a nuclear power station. I mean, the fallout from a full scale explosion of a nuclear power station it it's going to it's going to yeah it's going to it's going to travel to Russia, isn't it? Mm. So they're clearly not going to do it on purpose. But thing accidents happen in war, and it will only take you know something like that to happen for things the, the balance to tip and then you can start to hear the calls for intervention growing louder and louder and it could happen so this is why this is why it's so vital um for campaigns like stop the war to to keep doing what they're doing and to keep the pressure on to say no to war no to war in any circumstances um because all the while it's going on the danger is there and yeah, I, I, that's that's my view. I mean, we we are we are at that point, and we are where we are, and um, pe- people are, you know, are, are leading us down the wrong path if they're saying and keep continuing to say things about, uh, well, we should do this, we should do that, and that's that that's that thing though, isn't it? With I think when there's this war fever as well, there is this hype at the moment, isn't there? This sort of drumming up of. Uh, Oh, Putin's going to be knocked off his throne. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And I think ultimately, you know, because I keep going back to the same point as, as as you as well about obviously it's just about stopping the killing at the moment, isn't it? Getting mm-hmm. getting an end to that, and we're we're taking from there sort of thing. Let's just stop the bodies falling to the floor. Um, but you know, if if the mindset is this is the time to get rid of Putin, because this is very much what a lot of the articles are sort of arousing, isn't it? This idea we're going to mm-hmm. we're going to fool him. They're going to publicly execute him on the streets. Um, but you know, it's I, I think at the end of the day, the Russian people can make their own decision. That disruption's mm-hmm. there. They they are human beings. They're sent, sentient, and they have their own morals, and they can decide as they have shown through their current protests. I, I understand that obviously Russia has uh, imposed a um, 
martial law or whatever it is or uh, mm-hmm. i can't remember the correct term but um you know so that they they can't gather uh, they can disperse these crowds that are saying no yeah. to the war but ultimately these people what they think that they're just gonna stop fighting just th- th- these people in russia that are against this war they're gonna just stop fighting for what they believe in mm. just because what because of martial law you know there comes a point where basically what i'm trying to say is that you don't need that western intervention because countries can see with their own eyes what's going on and you know most people could have maybe tolerated putin for I mean, obviously, I understand he's got quite a tight grip, but most people could have maybe tolerated him and been like, well, actually, it's not not really anything that directly is affecting me at the moment. Um, but maybe this is that step too far, and this is when they're going to mm. have their own deposition of Putin without the West saying, come on, do it, do it now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think these countries, you know, countries definitely will get a, get to a point where they can they can have their own uprising. It doesn't need to be, uh, you know, egged on or or anything like that. But yeah, hundred well, percent. Putin's not going to be around forever anyway, is he? You know, he's. Wow. He, 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 I mean, he might be around for a good while, yeah, and he intends to be. But again, it's like with with the sanctions, or it's like, it's it's this, you know, kind of let's let's really let's really drive them drive them through and and and, and make them make them you know um, make them make them crack make make the whole of of uh, Putin's um, kind of regime um fall apart just you know through the sanctions but again that's going to be destabilizing um mm-hmm. for the country it's going to create chaos and so on you know it, again it's the same objective isn't it it's sort of like we've got to get rid of him but we don't really care we don't really care we we don't well we can't know what the consequences of of that happening are but we don't really care either because ultimately he's a bad guy so he needs to be got rid of kill the um, yeah, the but problem. but really, but really, that's that's how can that be the priority? You know, you you could be inflicting a hell of a lot more chaos by going down that route. So yes, the sanctions are important, but the reason the sanctions are important is to bring Putin to the table, not to topple him. Yeah, you know, if 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 it happens, if it happens, if suddenly, because it could do. I mean, there's speculation that you know, if these sanctions really do bite the oligarchs, the people who prop him up. That they will take care of him. They'll just they'll just decapitate the leadership at some point, you know, and, and get room just like that. And they yeah. they might well do. I mean, it's it's big money we're talking about. Um, you know, they've probably already become a lot poorer. And if they feel that they're seriously under threat, then you know they're going to be pretty ruthless about that. But that can't be the objective of the West. The, the objective of the West can't be put the pressure on till he cracks and he, and he, and they depose him. Because that's that's ultimately a, a policy to prolong, isn't it? You know, yeah. we're going to keep it going until that happens. And really, the 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 only purpose should be to bring about international condemnation of his actions, sanctions to bring him to the table, and then diplomacy and yeah. and dialogue. That's the only way it's going to finish. And and this is what I mean. That encapsulates it perfectly because what you see a lot of articles of at the moment, what I've seen, like BBC, um, top five ways that the war could end. There's not five mm. ways the war can end. You know, mm. like you know, way one, it's a short war. Way two, it's a long war. You know, blah blah blah. They depose Putin and all this stuff. But it's like at the mm. end of the day, 
there is yeah, and one of them that keeps getting put in there is oh nuclear warfare that that is that is not on the table for anyone <laughs> I, I don't believe even that was probably on the table for fucking adolf hitler like i just don't see how nuclear weaponry would have helped anyone in any circumstance it's like kim jong-un isn't it you know like he's making nuclear weapons because then he's got clout but i don't think yeah. he would ever be mad enough to shoot it because i mean I mean, one nuclear bomb hit in North Korea alone would cause damage, wouldn't it? Let alone, you know, four thousand. Um, well, again, you've got you've got the political media class now actually tossing over the idea. Well, would would nuclear war be the end of the world? There was an article the other day, um, absurd article. I, I'm not going to try and find it because it'll take me too long. But it was the the headline was something along the lines of um, could could nuclear war could a small nuclear war reverse climate change? <laughs> Yeah, because it kill, kills this whole bloody environment along with all the people. Like, yeah. it might not be so bad if we had a small nuclear war yeah. because the 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 effect of the, the 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 short nuclear winter could counteract climate change. Hundred thousand <laughs> less people driving. Hundred thousand yeah. less people eating meat. Yeah, this this yeah. is the kind of thing, and 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 the discussion sort of went into the idea that may, you know maybe you know. The, the, the you know maybe the whole of the hu- human race wouldn't actually be wiped out maybe maybe agriculture wouldn't fail because the the um, number of u- nuclear bombs now has been depleted obviously there was the there was the reduction in stockpiles and so on so um and various things have changed and it was this sort of serious supposedly serious discussion of whether actually nuclear war well, it might not be all that bad and well well you know it might solve climate change yeah, yeah. Absolutely yeah, ridiculous. Put a positive ridiculous. spin on People this. People are talking about these sort of yeah. things. It's nonsense, isn't it? The world just mm. goes mad, doesn't it, in Madness, the face of a yeah. crisis? But yeah, mm. I think, you know, to, to sum it up, really, there's no way of talking about things necessarily directly. This has been more of a discussion about uh, what our views are and sort of how we got here, because the only thing that's solid, in fact, is how we got here. And the rest of it, I mean, it's still a developing story, isn't it? Anything could happen, absolutely anything. Um, you know, but I, I think that, yeah, obviously we're looking at both sides of the fence and I think a lot of the media is very much one side of the fence, isn't it? And that that's natural, isn't it? Because you're going to have Russian media saying it's going great. You're going to have Western media saying fuck Putin and oh, the war's going great for Ukraine. And it's going to be, it's all, it's all bias. Wherever you read it, it's bias. Um, but we've looked at sort of both sides of the fence here. And I think, you know, to, to sum it up, war in any circumstance is not a option in the age of diplomacy. There is a million different things that can be said and done before you need to pick up a gun and kill someone or fire a missile or anything like that. And I think that what was missed here really was just an opportunity for great diplomacy. Um, You know, when, when we're talking about obviously, you know, the Minsk two agreement, um, that being followed through probably could have missed all of this. Um, it might be that it still happened. Who knows? But mm-hmm. the, what we're talking about here is just diplomacy. Um, very much in the sense of, you know, th- this is, if this was maybe on the flip side and this was a, an agreement between Russia, which was not agreed, the Minsk two agreement was Russia not holding up their end of the deal, there'd be a very different discussion going on right now. Um, and I think really it's just calling out, isn't it, this this sort of hypocrisy and mm. this idea that if you don't yield to a certain type of um, you know, liberalism and things like that, that you are you are the enemy. Um, but ultimately I think 
any any country can have their own culture and their own views as long as they're democratic. I think that's what's that's what's important. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Is there any other sort of points you want to add, Rob? No, I just I just underline that really and and say that uh, yes, dialogue and unquestionably, I mean, people are going to have to compromise, and, and the West is going to have to compromise, and some people won't like that but that's the reality of it yeah nato are going to have to shift their position their position they've stated is an open door policy they're going to have to move that position so for all the talk of all, all the tough talk and all that they in the end this is what's going to happen there's going to there, there will have to be an agreement and that agreement will mean that putin will have to give but so will the west um but the question is, how long will it take to get to this point? Let's hope good sense prevails. Those of us who make these rules have got to stick by them, and that's why I've got to resign. I couldn't give a flying flamingo what your view.